You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is supported by Fidelity Investments. We want you to demand more from your money. Start by knowing what you own and owe. We'll help you take the next step at fidelity.com slash demand more now. Her Money comes to you through PRX. Chris Hogan is joining me in the studio. I'm honored. I'm on the first day of your new book. You're making a stop at Her Money, so thank you. Well, thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Of course. The new book is called Everyday Millionaires, and there is a lot of shoe leather reporting Hmm. that went into this. So tell us about your process and what you learned. Yeah. Well, we all remember Thomas Stanley's book, Millionaire Next Door, right? 25 years ago. And really looking at that, and I remember that shaping my mindset on actually what was possible. What did these millionaires look like? And so I started thinking after I did my first book, Retire Inspired, getting people to think differently about their future. I started wondering, is building wealth possible? Now, Gene, you've been helping people for years, right? And Ramsey Solutions, we've been helping people for years. We know when you've got people that are doing consistently things the right way, they start to win. Mm -hmm. But the culture will tell you that it's not possible, that the little man can't get ahead, that you can't build wealth. Even some media will tell you you can't. Well, if you listen to people on uh, the political trail on both sides of the aisle, right. right? I mean, that seems to be the argument Every candidate has the 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 middle class American can't win and I'm going to fix it. That's right. And so I started looking at this and I go, okay, what's the reality? Is it possible? And so got together with the team. We started having conversations and talking uh, with Dave and Elizabeth Cole, my uh, publicist, started just brainstorming. What does this look like? What what could we do? And so we got together and commissioned the largest study of millionaires that's ever been done. Thomas Stanley looked at around 750 back when he did this book, his book 25 years ago. So we wanted to go big. So we talked to over 10,160 millionaires all across the country. And so we were able to get some information in to find out what do they look like, Mm -hmm. what did they do, and how can other people join them? How did you talk to them? Well, we got a chance to get on the phone. We interviewed them. Uh, We walked through some uh, questions that they took via survey. Mm -hmm. Uh, It got so big that we used an outside company, a research firm, to walk us through this process. But it was wanting to really connect with them and understand what's making them tick, What are some of their habits? And what are some of the things all of these millionaires have in common? And that's what we're able to find out. You know, I love research. I, as a journalist, when I put on my research hat, I've done a couple of books that are research-based. And it it is nice to have that to hang your hat on, to say, this is real. And 10,000 people, that's that's real. That's a a real survey. survey. No, you're absolutely right. And you start to think about, you know, some of the things we see in media. Most of those surveys will hover around, you know, 1,000 or 1,500 people, which is a good research project. But we wanted to go big. Uh, I really wanted to know. I didn't want to know about just people in the Northeast or the West. I wanted to know all across the country. What do they look like? Where do they come from? And how do they get there? Okay. So let's answer those three questions in order. Yeah. What do they look like? Where do they come from? And how did they get there? Yeah. Well, what do they look like? They look like regular everyday people. 
You know, we busted some myths and people wanted to, they wanted to think, oh, it's only the high income, you know, only high income earners are only able to become millionaires. Well, and that's what Tom Stanley did so well. He said, no, it's the guy next door with the 10 year old car and you don't know how much he's got in the bank or the woman. That's right. By the way. That's right. And so the reality for us is finding out that a third of them never had a six figure income in a working year. Like, think about that. Okay, a third of these millionaires never had a six-figure income in a, a household income in a working year. And so you start to think about that because everyone would assume they're making two, three, four, five hundred thousand dollars. That's not the reality. Define millionaire. Yes, thank you. So in looking at this, it's really taken two things. Looking at what you own minus what you owe. So what you own, that could be your 401k, your 403b, your IRAs, your home, uh, the money you have. Your equity in your home. Absolutely. Or if you have your home paid off, the entire amount. So looking at that minus what you owe. So that's anything you have debt on. Uh, if you if what you own minus what you owe puts you at a million dollars, then that puts you as an everyday millionaire. And so it's good for people to have that mindset because, Gene, a lot of people think to be a millionaire, I've got to make a million dollars a year. Right. Or I've got to do X, Y and Z. No, let's go down to basic math and really look at this and understand it. Okay, so they look like everybody. Yes, they look like everybody. And I assume they are everywhere. All over the place. And I said in my in the book, I say they're hiding in plain sight, meaning that, yes, you could be living next door to them. You could be going to work with them. You could be going to church, bowling, whatever. But because they're not flashy, they're not trying to show everybody what they have. They're focused people that have followed a plan. And it's not a surprise that they've been able to reach this this marker financially. How many of them are women? Oh, gosh, it was close to 40, I want to say 46%. You know, so looking at this, and and again, looking at households, husbands and wives, but we had people that were single moms. We had people that were newly married or divorced or even widowed or widowered, but they were people that all stayed focused regardless of life happening to them. We also studied and looked at what were the top professions. Now, this I was really interested in. Number one was engineers. Which really doesn't surprise you. They come out of college and they make a lot of money. And they plan. Number two was accountants, which doesn't surprise me, right? They count money. They're good at that stuff. Number three kind of shocked me. Uh, I wasn't prepared for it. Number three was teachers. Oh, you know why this is? Why? Because they have an incredible pension plan. They have the pension plan. They also are willing to learn Mm -hmm. and they're coachable. Right. Mm -hmm. These are people that educate other people. So, you know, they're constantly pulling in and someone was like, well, there's no way a teacher could do that. And I go, well, hold on a minute. Think about it. If they've got a five hundred thousand dollar home that they've paid off, so they own the home and they've got a 403B that they've been plugging in for 25, 28 years and they've got five, five hundred fifty thousand dollars there. You add those two together going back to net worth. What you own minus what you owe makes you a net worth millionaire. So if you're out there listening to this show and you're curious about your net worth, I've got a free tool, the net worth calculator at my website, chrishogan360.com. Hop over, run your numbers and find out where you stand. Oh, we will absolutely do that. Let me talk to you about the habits. Hmm. I mean, what were the small things that these people were doing every day? I, I took some notes from a pre-interview that we did with you. And you basically said these people have to do a lot of things consistently for this to fall into place. And that starts to sound really complicated and really 
hard and time-consuming, and I know it doesn't have to be that way. No, it really doesn't. Now, they, they had some things that they do. All of them, 94% of them live below, you know, what they make. Uh, 97% of them believe they control their destiny, which I absolutely love. That means they're not looking to blame other people for their results. They know where they are, and they know where they're going. So the mindset is similar, but we're also able to dig in and find out some attributes. Mm-hmm. Uh, these are things that these millionaires are doing kind of in common. And the first one was they take personal responsibility, yeah. right? Now, in, in our culture today, number one, to be taking personal responsibility for where you are or where you aren't is a huge step. But these people all do that. How do you see that manifest itself? Really in how they describe themselves and how they said family members would describe them as well. So they were able to pick from some categories to really say, hey, what do you, what do you do? How do you approach life? The second attribute was that they are, they're intentional with their finances. Meaning all the things you and I talk to people about, the budgeting, you know, getting out of debt, saving and investing. These were all things that were habitual for them. They weren't one off and one on. This is something that they learned from their parents. Mm -hmm. High majority of them did. And this is something that they put into practice month in and month out. So personal responsibility, intentionality with their finances, but they're also goal oriented. Meaning they know how to set something out there for themselves and really work hard to pursue it. And you and I know whenever you're chasing down goals, you have to say yes to some things, but it means you also say no to some other things. So that's just a part of their fiber. Goal-oriented, they're also hard workers, meaning they know how to put their head down, avoid distractions, and keep moving. The final one was huge. This was they, they know that building wealth takes consistency over time. And that goes back to them utilizing the number one thing they said was the reason for them to get to millionaire status was employer-sponsored retirement plans, 401ks, 403bs, IRAs. Chris, I want to go back to that. But before we do, a very brief word from Fidelity because her money is sponsored by Fidelity Investments. What if you could demand more from your money? What if you could make your savings work as hard as you do? And what if that helped you reach all of your financial goals faster? It all starts with a financial checkup and an understanding of what you own and what you owe. From there, Fidelity can work with you to evaluate your investment options and ways to grow your savings. Get started today at fidelity.com slash demand more now. We're happily talking with retirement expert Chris Hogan, author of the new book, Everyday Millionaires. You know, it's a really important time to be talking about that long-term mindset mm. and patience because with the economy and a little bit of turmoil with the markets more volatile than we've seen in a while, this is when people get scared. This is when people start to think, well, maybe I shouldn't be putting money in my 401k. Maybe I should instead be putting money somewhere safer. Well, and you're you're right. This period of turmoil can cause people to do a couple of things that are dangerous. Uh, It can cause them to tune out, which means they don't even look and they're not aware and they're not making small changes, or it can cause them to panic. And when you panic and do knee-jerk reactions without really understanding the big picture, you can cost yourself a lot of money in the long run. So what I tell people to do is don't stay within your own devices, meaning talk to an investment professional, understand the landscape, understand the difference between short-term versus Mm -hmm. long-term. Long-term thinking requires you to kind of look out beyond and really understand, hold on, I've been here before. 
You know, I've seen this movie before is what I tell people to say. And when you've seen a movie before, you know what to expect, but you can also start to predict the outcome. Right. You're not going to jump when the uh, axe falls. That's right. Now, can I use one (laughs) analogy, Gene? I think you'll like this. Um, In talking about the stock market, I've been talking to a lot of people where it's brand new to them. And I'm trying to get them to see it different, right? So I came up with this analogy. The stock market is a lot like the supermarket. There are things that you can buy in the supermarket that are good for you, and there's some things you can buy that aren't so good for you. Well, the same can be said with the stock market. You can invest in things that are good for you, and you can invest in some things that aren't so good for you. The key is to understand what those are, but to also understand your own goals, your own timeline, and also your own risk tolerance. When you start to understand those, now you can start to make decisions for the long term. And I think also, just to bounce off that supermarket metaphor, you need a balance. You need a balanced diet, right? And if you decide you're going to eat all avocados all the time, even though that's on the list of superfoods, that's not going to do you any good. That's a very good point. So a little diversification diversification in your diet. diversification is huge. And I tell people, again, we've been saying it for years, don't put all your eggs in one basket, right? It's just too much risk. You mentioned that a lot of the people that you talk to for this book learn these lessons from their parents. What I hear from my listeners is that a lot of them didn't. How do you become an everyday millionaire when you don't have that foundation? I think the key is is to believe. I think that first step is to believe that you can. Me growing up in Kentucky, I didn't have anyone around me that was a millionaire. I was one of those people that thought that in order to become wealthy, you had to have a family member that left it to you. It had to be via inheritance, right? And we found that 21% of the millionaires we studied received an inheritance. Uh, The rest of them, that's, you know, 79% did not. Mm -hmm. So for me, I didn't have anyone around me to kind of help me see that as potential. So I would encourage people out there that are listening to, number one, believe that it's available to you. That you're not excluded. Becoming a millionaire is not a private country club. It's the result of many, many years of hard work. So believe that you can. Gain knowledge. Start to read. Understand what does it take? How do you get there? People get rich quick. Those are those get rich quick schemes. I I don't like those. I want you to build wealth. That's more like a crock pot. It takes time and consistency. So if you believe, you gain knowledge. And number three is your personal habits, your behaviors. If you can really start to get all three of those lined up and pointed in one direction, you can make progress. I think control is the big thing that when we feel like we're in control, when we really are in control because we're making that progress, mm-hmm. that's when that's when we start to believe. Sometimes you need a little bit of evidence that you can do it in order to get yourself to believe that it's actually going to happen for you. Yeah. or And I, I think that you could believe that it can, but just believing that it's possible. You know, when people don't think something is possible, we can tend to have a little bit more of a self-fulfilling prophecy, mm-hmm. right? Where you, I've heard people say, well, Chris, you don't understand. Our family was never good with money. I.e., what they're saying is, is my family wasn't good with money, so I can't be. So then they keep doing the things they've always done. So I want people to think differently about this and really start to understand that you get to sign your own permission slip. Gene, you remember back when we were in grade school when you take field trips? Yep. You had to take that permission slip home to get somebody in your family, a parent, to sign it. If you did, if they didn't sign it, you couldn't go. Well, I'm telling people, as an adult, you get to sign your own permission slip. This is something where you can give yourself permission to get better with money by believing you can, gaining knowledge, and controlling your behaviors. And you can get better with money by doing all of those things 
as you are journeying through it. Yes. What I hate to see is people waiting until they feel they have all the knowledge necessary to take the first step. Take the first step. Start putting money away. Get into those retirement plans. Open an IRA if you don't have one at work. Put some money into a diversified portfolio and learn while you're doing it. And it will make you feel more empowered to be doing it while you're learning. That's a great point. And I was one of those people, just to tell myself years ago, PD, pre-Dave, that I was one of those that I thought, when I make more money, I'll get more serious, right? And so really what I was doing was just putting off the reality. Uh, Lifestyle kept increasing as my income increased, but my results didn't. And so it was really plugging in with the message at Ramsey Solutions some 13 years ago that I was really able to make that turn to really start to see, no, it's not about how much you make. And a lot of people don't know this about you, but you started on the phones. You started working on the phones at Ramsey Solutions. I did. I did. I was on the phone coaching people, uh, working through, and then I was doing some work with pro athletes and entertainers. But I spent time, uh, my background is as a banker. And so I was seeing money from that perspective, Uh, but I was getting frustrated, right? Feeling like you're pushing products all the time and this and that. And I really had the heart to help people. And so being able to join with the team and really essentially be more of a coach where I'm guiding people and helping them take steps. Well, that's the beauty of it. When you're helping other people, it's also the best reminder and accountability for yourself. I got to tell you before we wrap this up, one of my New Year's resolutions was to try to start meditating. So I put the Headspace app on my phone. Okay. I've done it now every day of the new year. I started at five minutes, but I bumped it up to 10. I kind of like it. I'm getting there. And one of the things that's nice about this app is that the guy who started the app has this very intoxicating British voice. It's not as good as yours. Oh, that's so kind. <laughs> Seriously, I appreciate that. So if you ever need a side gig, yeah, you might want to do that. Now, is, this do medita- med- is it helping? I think so. Okay. I think, I think it's working for two reasons. I feel very calm after I do it. Okay. And also the time goes very fast. And for me, that's usually an indication that something is working. Okay. Now, Gene, I've got to ask something. Okay. I know you've got me here as a guest, but I, yep. I want, no, you I want your listeners it. to extract something. So you made a decision to yes. start meditating. I right? did. Now, the benefit was what? What are you looking for? I'm looking to tame my thoughts a little bit. I okay. get a little scattered. I've never been sort of very scattered, but the more I have to do and I'm busy these days, the more scattered my thoughts get and I'm just trying to control them a little bit. Now, you are seven days into the new year. You have not missed a day. How many days are you going to go straight doing this meditating? I'm going to try to just keep going. For how long? Uh, I don't have an end point. I'm going to try to keep going forever because I've heard, I mean, I'm sure I'll miss one Along right. the way, sometime, right. my intention is not to miss one. See, I, and I, I just, I wanted your listeners to hear what happens when people decide. When you decide, that means you understand the benefit of something. Then you decide to try. Then you decide to keep trying, right? And so there's not a finish line to improvement. It's this constant process. But the beauty is, is when we decide, and I know without a doubt, I can wait 30 days from now and I can call you or text you and I'll ask you how many days in the row have you been meditating? And you'll be able to tell me intentionality is not an accident. 
It's something people do when we make decisions and we know the benefits. And so I just want people to do that same thing with their money, to understand there's a benefit to the process. You make a decision and you stick to it, you can get better. I am absolutely with you, and we will leave it right there. The book is Everyday Millionaires. Chris Hogan, you can find him at chrishogan360.com. Thank you for coming in. Thank you for having me. Absolutely, and we'll be right back. Our producer, Kelly Hultgren, has joined me in the studio. Hey, Kelly. Hi, everyone. So I don't know if you are old enough to remember the book that Chris was talking about, The Millionaire Next Door? No. No. So it it came out shortly after I graduated from college, maybe okay. a few years after that, maybe even more than a few years after that. But it, it's been a while. And what was so striking about that book was the realization that you really have no idea what's going on in other people's homes mm. and that it's often the quiet not ostentatious, not big spending people who've actually just plugged away at saving and secured their financial lives. And I thought that was really admirable. I was always taken by those stories of people who had good jobs, but not amazing jobs, Mm -hmm. who saved so much money to save the town library or endow a scholarship or, you know, do something. We we see those in the paper every once in a while. You'll see somebody who was a custodian who then donated $2 million to their alma mater. I remember it happened. So I grew up in Wheeling, West Virginia, Mm -hmm. as you know, Mm -hmm. among other places. But we had a vice principal at our high school named Phyllis Beneke who, after she passed away, she had donated a huge amount of money for scholarships to the high school. And there are kids to this day who go to college on these Beneke scholarships. And, you know, it wasn't family money. It was just she, I believe, and I might be getting some of the details wrong, but I believe she was a single woman who just saved and saved and saved, had a really good teacher's pension, lived frugally, and had a large bequest that she was able to make and has made a huge difference in the lives of a lot of kids. That's such a beautiful story and a wonderful legacy to leave. Okay, well, I have a few questions picked out for today. Great. First, from Laura. How can someone who likes using a robo-advisor like Betterment move to managing their own Vanguard accounts or more intermediate investing? Or is it okay to stay with Betterment? We have 401ks, but we don't max them out. We are ineligible for Roth IRA. We have a good amount of savings, but not sure how to put it all to work. Baby steps. So this question of maxing out your 401k, that should be your first move. Unless you don't like your choices within your 401k, allowing that money to be automatically deducted, maxing out the tax deduction, that's number one. And It's something that you should just try to get yourself to do consistently over time. The fallacy is that just because money is in a 401k, you are not able to manage it. And you are. You can choose to put it into a target date retirement fund and have it managed for you. In some companies, you can choose to put the money into a managed account where it will be managed for you, but you can also choose to put together a portfolio yourself 
and perhaps get some advice to do it. So those baby steps that you were talking about, going from a robo to a system where you're a little more DIY is absolutely possible. I would pick up the phone and call the provider, in this case Vanguard, and say, what else do you have? Do you have a way for me to do this? Vanguard also offers a robo-advisor, and they have a robo-advisor with a human element so that if you want to work on your own portfolio, you can sort of cobble together that solution for yourself. You know, it's interesting. I have a new book, as many of you know, coming out in March called Women with Money, the judgment-free guide to creating the joyful, less stressed, purposeful, and yes, rich life you deserve. And it is available for pre-order right now, I'm just saying. But in the book, I have a whole section on how to invest. And it takes you from the least hands-on options to the most hands-on options. So through target date funds and robos and managed accounts and financial advisors so that you can figure out which is the right solution for you. Because we know from research from Fidelity that the vast majority of women do want to be more hands-on with their investments, to which I say, yay. We'll do one from Catherine now. Do you have any advice for someone that is paying back graduate student loans, has the typical home loan within budget, car payment, and middle-class income, and pays for childcare for two young children? Average is $1,000 a month. I live in South Carolina. It seems that although I've started a newer, higher-paying job, I can't save like I want to because of childcare still being so expensive. Fortunately, I am registering my youngest for kindergarten, public, today for the fall. Okay, I see two big opportunities here. Nice. The first is that higher-paying job. So I want you to go back into your spending before you started that higher-paying job and do a little sleuthing and figure out where your money was going then. You can use your uh, credit card receipts, your checkbook, your ATM receipts, and you can cobble together a backward-looking map at where your money was going. Then I want you to do the same now with the higher-paying job because if nothing else has changed, if your childcare expenditures have held steady, you are spending that money somewhere. Mm -hmm. We just don't know where it's going, (laughs) but if we figure out where it's going, then you can start to save it. And you may just have to automate your way into doing it, taking the additional amount of money that you're receiving in salary and automating it into savings and just forcing yourself for a month or two to use what remains and make that work for you. The child going to school is another opportunity that may, Mm -hmm. it sounds like, reduce Mm -hmm. your childcare expenditures, if that's true, take the amount by which it reduces it and automatically move that into spending. And the other thing I see in your question is a potential opportunity to refinance those graduate school loans. If you haven't looked at whether you could save money on those loans by consolidating or refinancing with a private lender, like a Citizens Bank or a SoFi or a Common Bond, you should absolutely take a look at that as long as you're not 
anticipating applying for public service loan forgiveness or using any of the federal loan protections that would enable you to go into income-based repayment over time. And again, if you save some money with a refi, take the amount that you've saved and automatically funnel it into savings. That's the only way it's going to work. And you won't even feel it. You might feel it. Well, hopefully you feel, like, happy because of it. Yeah. But, you know, like, if it was money you were spending, if it's money you thought you didn't have before, just... Right, just like that. But, yeah, the backward look, you may feel that for a month or two, but my feeling is you can do it. And we'll do one more from Jacqueline. Wondering if you have any retirement planning advice for those of us with a pension. I'm a librarian in a municipality who will be eligible for a pension when I retire. In 27 years, I'm only 37. What other retirement planning slash savings should I have? I have access to a 457 and 403B, but haven't joined. So the question is what percentage of your pre-retirement income will this pension cover? And will you get Social Security to supplement that? My guess is that yes, you will. You'll need to make up the difference with contributions to a 457 or another self-funded retirement plan. And there are calculators online that can help you figure this out. But You could also make an appointment, just a one-off appointment with a financial advisor who could help you run those numbers and figure out how much additionally you should be putting away. But I would say because lifespans are getting so much longer that more is better. And if you're in a year where you can max out that 457 contribution, why not do it? Giving yourself the ability to have a little more wiggle room later when you've got perhaps more life expenditures that you have to account for. Amazing. Thank you, Jean. Thanks so much, Kelly. And now, Kelly and I have a question for you in today's Thrive. Would you, should you share your salary with a male coworker? A new movement called hashtag talk pay is underfoot and it says yes. Talk titles talk pay. Whoa, I'm hearing people everywhere saying, whoa, isn't this illegal? It's not. In fact, a story in Mel Magazine suggests that men embracing salary transparency is a step toward closing the wage gap. Women on average, we still earn just 80 cents for every dollar that men are paid. Women of color fare even worse. Black women earn 63 cents. Native American women earn 57 cents. Latina women make 54 cents. Asian women at 87 cents are the exception. But in fact, it is illegal for companies in the U.S. to add clauses to their contracts forbidding you from sharing salary information. In episode 123, former Red Book editor Meredith Rollins opened up about sharing her salary information with the person who was coming in to take a job as she left it and how much it helped. That sharing on the way out the door may, in fact, be the most comfortable way to do it. But we're interested in hearing from you. Have you done it? What were the results? Send me a note at jeanathermoney.com, and we will share them on a later show. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Chris Hogan for stopping by and for the great conversation. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. And... Please share this show with a friend. That is the best way to spread the word. We also want to thank our sponsor, Fidelity. 
We record this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Track Tribe, and our show comes to you through PRX. Join us next week. We'll be back with another great guest, and we'll talk soon. 